Hello and welcome to the Rope Report Lasses podcast in association with Sunderland Community Soup Kitchen and her game to the campaign against sexism and misogyny in football. My name is Rich Spate and I'm joined for a special podcast to preview England's appearance in the final of Euro 2020 by a Sunderland player or an ex-Sunderland player who played for us for over 15 years, um, a natural leader who was made captain by Mick Mulhern at the age of 18, an FA Cup finalist in 2009, multiple WPL winner in the 2010s, WPL Cup winner, although she wasn't on the pitch, <laughs> she had her leg all strapped up, a WSL2 title winner in 2014, basically the definition of a club legend and also the perfect person to speak about the former Sunderland players who will be in the squad for the big game at Wembley on Sunday. Yes, I'm delighted to be joined by none other than Steph Bannon. How are you this evening, Steph? Yeah, I'm very good, thank you. What a lovely introduction. <laughs> well, no, it's well well deserved because, like I, I was saying to uh, one of my colleagues earlier, it's it's basically equivalent of having Kevin Ball on the pod <laughs> uh, from the from the women's side. So we're, we're absolutely honoured to have you with us and and talking about such a big game as well on Sunday. But first of all, let's have a bit of a chat about your wonderful career. What I was just working out then was you will have played with Mel and with Jen O'Neill. Yeah. And you played with Beth and Kira. Yeah. And like so you've gone like the whole literally Bridge the the history of kind of modern football in the northeast in that sense, like because Jen was right there at the start. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say I was I've been around for a long, long time, but I think I've seen everything, especially to do yeah. with Sunderland. You know, obviously, I've seen the good things that the club's done within the women's side. I've also seen the not so good things that the clubs they done. I would say I've seen the happy things. I've seen the disappointment side. I would say I've seen everything. Um, yeah. And obviously, I've I've never played for anybody else. Um, so as far as I am aware, I don't really know any different in terms of like how clubs run, how things work. I can only go off what I know from Sunderland. So obviously, when I first started, things like, for example, the kit. So our mm-hmm. kit was always like hand-me-down kit. Um, it was always things that were probably far too big for you. Um, we used to have to pay £90 a season to actually play. Um, so like the revelation of like the women's game, not just obviously in Sunderland, but the revelation of the women's game since I was like probably younger is like, come on, like masses amounts. Yeah. Um, I just uh, watched Jill Scott today on interview and obviously she... She's the only player that's now in the from the current squad from the last time when they got beat off Germany. I think it was in two thousand and nine. Yeah. Further back, um, and she was saying like that's when the central contracts came out. Yeah, yeah. Um, like you know it, and just things like that. Like obviously now people get paid to play. The crowds have gone in, whereas when I was there at the start, it was like you paid to play and you were lucky if your mum and dad or your brother came to the game, like yeah. let alone anybody else. Um, we used to play like on like a cricket a cricket pitch in Horton. Um, like wow. some of the training facilities that we trained on were like, I mean, don't get me wrong, we trained at like the Charlie Hurley Centre, uh, but it was like a token gesture from the club at times. Yeah, yeah. Um, to say that we were affiliated, but really we weren't really affiliated, but we took everything that we possibly could off the club at the time. 
um, to then obviously I look at nowadays and I think like, you know, I see like Newcastle at the minute. Um, obviously they've got lots of money, the men's club. Uh, and you walk into like certain brand in a Newcastle city centre and you see the women's team on the yeah, yeah, yeah. And the kits. Um, and I think you see that a lot of now in football clubs, whereas obviously previously uh, there was none of that. So um, in terms of my career, I would say, obviously, I started off very young um, at Sunderland and yeah. the likes of Mel, Jane, Karen Scora. Um, I was always in the reserve team. Um, they were the players that I looked up to at the first team. I was like on the fringes. Sat many, many years on the bench of the first team. We travelled length and breadth of the country on the bench, never got a minute. Um, and then finally made my way into the first team uh, and then was given the captaincy and just never looked back, really. I think it was one of them where, like, just there was ups and there was downs. But I think once I kind of got my feet there and got my position there, it was a bit like, right, I've worked so hard to get here. Um, I've waited so long for this. I, I ain't letting this go. So I think I put every single egg into the basket to make it work. Yeah, uh, no, you definitely did. Looking back, kind of five years down the line now, from when you retired, um, you've had had a little girl. You were telling me about. She's just been put to bed. Um, but what are the um, what are the biggest highlights for you from your time once you got in the the Sunderland side? Uh, I think obviously the. The, the standout highlight was obviously the FA Cup final. Um, I think yeah. for me, you know, we won many Super League twos and week in, week out, we were a very consistent team at the time. Um, in that them couple of years, we were very, very consistent. We had a great group of girls, great manager, um, and it was really, really positive. And I think obviously getting to the FA Cup final was probably the biggest highlight because I think more than ever, nobody expected it. Uh, we were massive underdogs. We were playing some massive teams along the way. Um, and I remember playing Chelsea at the stadium like on my birthday um, so it was like just after things like that you know nobody ever really gave us a chance to to beat anybody and the fact of even just getting to the final was like it was outstanding and it was a credit to everybody at the time but it was definitely probably the biggest highlight Yeah I mean some some great players in that side young Jordan Nobbs oh. young um Lucy Bronze, who put the, a very similar ball into the box for, for Sunderland's goal uh, yeah. that she put in uh, for for Beth's goal uh, yeah, against I'm sure, Sweden. I'm sure if all them players now were still at Sunderland, uh, you'd be absolutely laughing. Uh, some absolutely, yeah, some fantastic players at the time. Um, all still very young at the time, um, but clearly, clearly very, very good talents. Um, and obviously they've gone on to bigger and better things now, which is a credit to themselves. But yeah, we had a we had a fantastic group of players at the time. Um, yeah, young players, but keen and honestly unbelievable to play with and unbelievable to like watch them train and how hard they worked. Um, was just fantastic. In awe a lot of the time to them. Yeah, I'm I'm sure because the you know as as we'll go on to talk about they they really have reached the the heights of the game now. But during your time at, at Sunderland, obviously we you know we were pushing winning tier two year after year after year, not getting that place in the in the um the WSL as it was. And then they opened up tier two um promotion into the WSL and and in that twenty fourteen season, that always stands out to me as as a really, really important moment in the history of Sunderland FC and and going down to Millwall, still needing a a, a win on the final day. 
that must have been nerve wracking. <laughs> yeah, and an amazing feeling. The, the the photos in particular from that game are, are, are brilliant. Just the joy on your faces. How was that as a as just a run into the end of that season? I think it was uh, probably the icing on the cake for us as a team. Um, I think over the years we'd worked really, really hard. Um, and although we were winning things, you know, we wanted the reward of getting the promotion. And unfortunately, we, for one reason or another, we never kept getting it and we kept missing out. Um, and I think, obviously, I remember the game very well. Um, we just knew that we had one more win in us and we would sing the song on the bus, that we just needed one more game, like we had this game in the bag. Like We'd done it all season for a number of seasons. We knew we just had to do the same thing that we'd been doing for game after game. So we tried to take it as as best we could in our stride. But obviously in the back of our mind, it's it's like one of them. We had to go for it because we knew that we needed to win it. Um, and thankfully we did. So it was uh, it was very memorable. I'm sure. Yeah. And as a fan, you know, watching from afar, mm-hmm. it, it was it was great to see. Uh, having, like you say, been so frustrated over the years of not being able to to, to get to to make that step up, mm. for us then to to get promotion, to play that first game against the champions Liverpool, that must have been great as well. I mean, um, two two one win. It was yeah. I think a girl called Beth Mead might have scored on that night. I think she scored she scored a header. Yeah, she did from a Kira Ramshaw cross. Yeah, it's pretty we, pretty rare. We played in a lovely blue away top. It was it was lovely. It was a lovely blue away top. I think it was the lucky kit. Uh, but yeah, I think it was one of them things. You know, we'd finally got into the Super League One and it was like, right, okay, we're in here now. But we're in here just to make up the numbers. We're here to actually compete. And I think you go back to saying what was the Millwall game like. And I think we always knew that like on paper, um, without sounding you know, big headed or whatever, we we felt like we could compete. We felt that mm-hmm. it was, you know, a lot of things outside of the football and ability that was stopping us going up. And on paper, we felt that we could compete in that league. Um, and I think obviously we showed that we we held our own um, and we deserved to be to be up there with the, the best of the best at that time. And thankfully we did okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean we were top of the top of the league after the first few fixtures. Yeah. Honestly it was like Sometimes I had to pinch myself because I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> but I think you know, at that time, it, you were really making the club proud, and obviously mm-hmm. you'd played for the club for a long time. You represented them since you were what fourteen mm-hmm. um, years old um, in an official capacity, and you'd you'd played that leadership role, and that's what I wanted to come on to talk to you about, really, because when I spoke to Beth last summer. I think also she said in an article, I think just came out today actually, about the kind of ins- the inspirational or the instrumental role that you and some of the other players, the likes of, you know, Fernie, et cetera, mm-hmm. set, uh, who, who'd kind of shepherded a very raw young talent like Beth Mead through kind of almost learning learning her trade and that, that you'd had this kind of, you put your short, arm around her shoulder and and guided her on and off the pitch about how to be a footballer. Were you aware at that time that, like, you, you, obviously captain, but you, you, your responsibility was to bring these young girls through and make them proper footballers? Um, I think I was very aware that Beth was always going to be a, a very, very big talent. Um, and I remember the day that Beth came up for a trial at Sunderland from Teesside. 
and mm-hmm. her dad came with her and he was sat in a dugout and she was very um and ahhing whether or not she was going to leave Teesside and make the transition to women's football. And I remember our manager at the time saying, you need to convince her. Like, she's a talent. Mm-hmm. You need to convince her. Like, you need to look after her because she's going to be good. And I thought, right, OK, like, obviously being given the, the go ahead here, I need to make this work for her. Um, and to be fair, it wasn't it wasn't a hard job because she was so talented. Um, it was just her being able to recognise and more so for Beth, um, come out of her comfort zone a little bit. She was obviously very happy at Teesside Centre of Excellence and, you know, they served her really well. But actually, she probably needed to make that step. Um, and, you know, yourself in any situation, you don't want to go out of your comfort zone when you're, you're doing so well at the other thing. Why would you move and push yourself if you don't have to? So I think that was the that was the trigger to make her just once she'd got once she'd jumped and made the move, it was all right because I knew that the team morale and the people around her and everybody else there would be able to make sure she was looked after and everything else that came along with that role. Um, but it was the initial getting her there was was wasn't as easy as what people would think. Yeah, um, I think she wrote about it for the Arsenal website last year as well, about that, exactly what you described, that needing needing her family and, and other people around mm-hmm. her to push her on to the next stage of her career. Yeah, and, I would agree you know, with that. And obviously she's from Whitby, so it was a big commitment for her family to drive her because at the time mm-hmm. she probably didn't drive. So it wasn't just like, you know, what was best for Beth. It was actually like her family needs as well. Um, but yeah, she was... She's a great person as well. Like, I can't follow. I actually used to be a roommate, believe it or not. Um, so, I mean, I probably could tell a lot of stories, but I won't do that tonight because that's not really the time of the place. It's all right. Um, well, Je- Gemma, Gemma Wilson told us about uh, um, locking locking herself out of Gemma's house. Yeah, she used to stay at Gemma's house because obviously to the full-time, part-time situation, yeah. it was easier for her. Um, but, yeah, she was... Uh, she was just a really good player, and I think we knew that. But I think it was one of these where I would never let her get ahead of herself. Um, she was part of a team, and we were very instilling that the team comes first. It's not an individual thing. It's a team thing, and nobody is bigger than the team, and nobody ever was bigger than the team. And I think that was something that, as a club, we always, you know, we used to call ourselves like a little family and nobody was ever more important than the next person and everybody was equal. And it didn't matter whether or not you were putting five goals in one game or as the goalkeeper you were conceding five goals or the defence or whatever player you would be in the team, you still had the same role. Whether or not you, for example, didn't come off the bench, right? you were just as important as that person who was scoring the five goals. didn't matter your role in the team. Um, and I think that's something that we instilled in a very, very early age. Um, and I think that's something that she's gone on to to obviously establish and, and make herself known that, yeah, she's she's a highlight, but actually the team's more important than just her. That's a, re- that's a, a really interesting point you make there um, about that kind of team spirit and togetherness and the kind of the sense of Beth as an individual within the team. But mm-hmm. I was wondering, obviously, there's always a lot of kind of talk around how many players have come through Sunderland over the years who are now either are or have been mainstays of the England setup. I mean, you will have come through probably the same year as Jill Scott, did you? Uh, she's a little bit older than me. And then uh, and then obviously with Demi, Stokes, mm-hmm. Lucy, with Jordan, mm-hmm. then kind of Beth and Lucy Stan, 
and obviously you had Steph there at a yeah. similar time to you as well, Steph, Steph Horton. What is it that has meant that our club has been able to consistently produce these really high-quality players um, for, over such a long period of time? I think, obviously, uh, it's it's very fortunate that we've, we've done that. And, you know, obviously, they've gone on to really bigger and better things, many of them, and other than are still at Sunderland, which is great. And a lot of them are still playing or coaching or, or still have a role within football, which is obviously really nice to see. Um, not every single person who comes to a football club is going to make it as high as others, but as long as they've got opportunities within the game, I think that's really, really important. Um, I think for Sunderland, it was very much of a case of obviously at the time there wasn't really a Durham, um, so Durham was yeah. non existent. Um, obviously, there was a Newcastle, um, and it used to be Sunderland Newcastle were, were really close rivals at one point. Um, then Newcastle kind of faded a little bit. Um, and went like off the scale. So it was kind of like if you were a women's footballer in the northeast and you wanted to play at a quite high level, it was Sunderland really was one of the main teams to go to. Um, you know, like I can mm-hmm. look at Lucy Bronze and she used to travel from Annick to Sunderland. Yeah. Um, which is obviously the opposite end to where like, you know, Jordan Nobbs and Beth Mead come from. Um, so they obviously travelled the other way. So I think it was very much of at the time it was we were very fortunate in terms of um we were seen as one of the good clubs in the northeast and Newcastle had a team and they were good but I think many people always sometimes wanted to to make that step up again to Sunderland um I think in terms of you know you say was it the team morale was it this was it that I think it was it was seen as like a bit of a family and everybody sort of was the same level and you know we had great coaching staff that obviously invested a lot of time in people and I think first and foremost we look at people and then the player and I think he always tried to sign the right person to be involved in that team as opposed to the right player um, and I think that was something that we probably pride ourselves in and I think obviously Mel does the same now I'm assuming going forward um, but yeah I think it was just team morale was really important but I think you know location wise there's there's not many teams up in the northeast. I mean, mm. like I said, you had Sunderland and Newcastle who competed, and then after that, it wasn't really. It was very like locally, um, and then obviously now you've got a lot more. But obviously, if you were to look and go somewhere like I don't know Liverpool, you obviously had Liverpool, Everton. There was like you know there was more opportunities and more teams. Whereas I feel sometimes in the northeast, sadly, um, we are kind of on our own a little bit. Yeah, we we see that just in terms of. Obviously, Sunderland's transfer options at the minute yeah. are are essentially RTC players or yeah. players from Durham, and we might come to talk a little bit more about that towards the end of this podcast. I just wanted to keep on the topic of, I guess, Sunderland and and, and England. Yeah. Um. Obviously, Jill is a massive influence mm-hmm. in the dressing room. Yeah. And a massive influence in the last kind of ten minutes of really critical games mm-hmm. for Serena. Vigman, this seems to be that similar kind of family equality mm-hmm. kind of feel within the Lionesses squad. Yeah, I think it seems like she's got them playing and enjoying their football. And like I said earlier, yeah. I think it looks like, and obviously I can only see from the outside themselves, it looks as if like everybody has, although she seems to have a start in 11, um, that she's obviously stuck with many games, she you still look and can tell that everybody has a role to play. 
yeah. that you are on the bench and you've never come off or whether or not you've played every minute of every game, you are equally as important to this team winning this competition. And I think that's something that I think is absolutely fantastic if that is something that she has brought in. But like I said, I think she just seems to bring in this happiness and everybody has a role and everyone seems to know exactly what their role is when they're supposed to do it. Um, and they're doing, well, working out well for them, isn't it? It's not going too bad. No, it's doing uh, right, right now, um, I'm, I'm I'm really nervous for for Sunday. I am crossing my fingers here. I'm the least super superstitious uh-huh. person in the world, and I got my fingers crossed almost permanently at the minute. It has been an amazing tournament overall. Mm-hmm. Now, I wanted to ask you what you thought what what you thought of the the kind of the quality of the football on show overall for for kind of European women's football. It seems to me like it's 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 took a big leap forward, particularly the two teams that are in the in the final seem to have reached a level we haven't necessarily seen from European teams in the past. I think it's been good. Uh, I'll be honest. I think England started off slow in the games mm-hmm. in terms of. I think they're getting they've got better every game. Um, I think you could tell that they were a little bit nervous. Um, obviously, home nation and what have you. Um, I felt like they didn't produce maybe the best performances, but I also think it doesn't really matter as long as they're winning the games to get through the group. Um, so I do think they started off a little bit slower. I think they've obviously found a way now of winning and found a way of playing and performing. Uh, and most importantly for me, they're, they're absolutely clinical at the minute, uh, which is something that previously they weren't um, as clinical as maybe they could have been. And I think obviously they are absolutely bagged a lot of goals so they're doing well there um but in terms of overall i think you know the quality of the the, the games was good the standard was good it's, it's been really good and i think ultimately it's it's done its job it's done what probably as a women's footballer or anybody in the women's game or even in any game of sport it's done what you wanted it to do and that is to promote the game promote women promote women's football promote football for boys and girls and I think actually mm-hmm. the standard of the game has done that because the games have been so good. What do, what do you make of Germany? I mean, seeing Pop uh, yeah. eventually getting her chance in the tournament, seeing young youngsters like Oberdorf just absolutely bossing games. My goal, I think, is a wonderful footballer. What, what do you make of them? They'll be tough. Germany will be tough. Mm-hmm. I think England will need to be at the best. But I also think England are doing very well as well. So as much as I think Germany are good and, you know, she's coming up with some fantastic goals and they're tenacious and they're hard work. And I think England do have a lot of quality in their side as well. I think it'll be a very, very exciting game. I do. And I think, you know, it's going to be... Uh, I was at Old Trafford with, obviously, you know, 70,000 people mm-hmm. there, over 80,000 in Wembley. I was there for, for the uh, for, for the men, for Sunderland men's uh-huh. the playoff final and that was loud but this is going to be the whole stadium yeah. it's going to be absolutely bouncing and um i i just can't wait and i'm i'm sure lots of people listening to this either who are going to the ground or are going to be um gathering with friends and family and maybe going to the pub or wherever and they're going to have a, a great time uh, where, whereabouts are you watching the game i'm actually watching the game with Becky Saliki and her friends and family because it's her 30th birthday party. So we are actually going to Becky's pub to watch the game. Um, but it'll be a great atmosphere. There'll be a couple of drinks on the go, I'm sure. And it'll be a great celebration, obviously, for Becky's birthday, but also to celebrate many friends and who are playing in the game as well. 
uh, totally. And obviously, Becky's another former Sunderland player, but unfortunately, she'll be on the opposite side in the first game of the season. Yeah, she uh, will be. Durham. She will. It's a good link, really. Um, coming back once again to kind of Sunderland and, and women's football in the North East. Obviously, when you left and Beth left about the same time, is it 2017? Uh, yeah, she she left like just a little bit before, I believe. And that's kind of when it started to fall apart a little bit for, for Sunderland with the WSL application not being put in on time, the demotion, all of that's followed. And obviously Mel and Kira and others have kind of rebuilt the club since mm-hmm. 2018. And we've got the chance of this really competitive season coming up where who knows what's going to happen in, in the championship. Uh, what do you think... Sunderland and the other teams in the North East have to do to make the most of kind of the opportunity of the Euros because it feels like there's like this really small window of opportunity in, even in just like in the next month or so mm-hmm. to kind of keep people engaged and enthused before kind of life goes back to normal. Yeah, I think, I mean, uh, I'd be honest and say that I'm quite disappointed um, that they have played all their friendlies behind closed doors. Um, yeah, I think for Sunderland at this moment in time, I can't understand why you wouldn't allow people to. I do understand. I do understand why you play behind closed doors. I, I absolutely get that as a club and as a management, why you would choose to do that, or for one reason or another. I'm sure there's reasons to why Sunderland have decided to do that. However, at this moment in time, there is so many people who want to go to women's games because of the Euros. I do believe that we are missing a trick in that situation. I think mm-hmm. like. Because there's so there is such the 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 popularity around it, you know, girls, boys, families. Um, I've spoken to loads of people who are like who don't really normally watch football. Are like, oh my god, have you seen this? Like, this is amazing. And I just think, had the friendlies have been people being able to go and watch the friendlies, then you might have attracted a couple more people. Um, and I think obviously gates and attendance is something that is massive. Um, fan bases are massive up in the northeast. Everybody in the northeast loves football, whether or not you're a male, uh-huh. female, whatever you choose to be. Everybody loves football, and I just think for Sunderland and for Durham and for everybody else, like they want people through the door and they want they want their teams to now inspire younger girls within their region and their area and their fan base. And I think if they were playing friendlies, then maybe if they'd have let people come and watch, they might have got a couple more. That's what I would. Yeah, I think obviously the behind the closed doors friendly with Newcastle yesterday. I think that was a shortened game from everything that I can glean from from from. from uh, we 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 had one one of ours who's allowed in, uh, and and give us some updates and a bit of a um a bit of a match report. Sounds like it was a bit of a shortened game. I'm sure there's reasons for why they're doing it. Yeah, certainly missed. Yeah, there's a missed opportunity there. I thought like something like you hire like Gates and International Stadium and have both fan bases there. Mm-hmm. You, know, you don't have to do it at the Stadium of Light or, yeah. or at St. James's. You could, you know, because the pitches there obviously are pretty precious for, for the start of the men's season. There's lots of reasons why they wouldn't, but I think they probably could have been a little bit more creative. And the club, to be fair, the club has been really creative in doing the open training down at yeah, Seaburn. 100%, yeah, 100%. That worked a treat. Um, so more more stuff like that, I think, will help us. Yeah. Durham do a great job. I mean, they get a th- they break a thousand people in in the ground, re- you know, regularly now. Yeah. Um, and and I'm sure there'll be over a thousand there um, when Sunderland play in the Riverway Derby on the 21st. I'm actually on holiday on that day. 
<laughs> I am as well. Oh, yeah. But all of the games have been streamed live on the FA Player. On the first weekend oh, of the go, first yeah. weekend of the championship. So if I can wangle it so that you know my wife and the kids go, I don't know, for a walk or a bike ride or a yeah. swim. I don't swim. I'll, I'll advise they go for a swim uh-huh. during that time, and I'll I'll be able to watch oh, it. Oh well, there France. you go. <laughs> but I wanted to ask you because you're you're a PE teacher. I am, yes. And uh, obviously, you know, there's there's a, there's a lot of talk around at the minute about legacy and impact of the Euros on the next generation of kids, mm-hmm. and securing that legacy, ensuring that all girls have the opportunity to play football. I know the FA have got a big drive in primary schools, but you're a secondary school teacher, is that right? Yeah, I'm secondary. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So as an educator, I'm I'm just wondering, you know, from your professional point of view, really, what needs to happen to make sure that girls can play football on the back of this tournament um i think our school obviously i'm going to be biased and tell you that our school do it all right up at this moment in time whether or not that's because i'm a female i'm from the female background and i push it more than maybe most would um but we offer girls to play football quite regular Um, we obviously have every team going for the school teams I think one of the biggest barriers um, to female school football is at a certain age. So used to when I played football, you could always play for the boys' side as well as the girls' side. Obviously Mm -hmm. now you're not allowed to play for the boys' team after a certain age group. You have to play female only, which is great. But the hardest bit about being a female PE teacher to transfer the girls is that sometimes you'll have like one or two who are really, really good. And then you'll have maybe a couple of others who are just there for engagement and enjoyment. And I think as a school and as an education, you have to make a decision on, are you going for competition or are you going for engagement? And I think there's two different things in that for me. Um, Because for us as a school, we would always go for engagement and enjoyment. Mm -hmm. But that's then, are you then restricting and holding back those who potentially could go on to, to play for your England and what have you? And that's where there's a fine balance between getting it right and and tipping people the wrong way. And is that is that where the the clubs come in as the kind of the forums yeah. where those those with the the you know the the talent that needs really developing yeah absolutely. need to be I think signposted to. It's where I would say clubs don't work. Clubs sorry need to work well with schools, you know, and schools mm-hmm. need to say right, okay, I've got this person. Are you able to affiliate them with your club kind of thing and give them a little bit extra because actually at school level you know we're trying to just get mass participation and get enjoyment but actually we think this child could go on to do more and I think it's them stepping stones it's not a case of right we're all going to play but like if you're the goalkeeper and you're conceding seven goals in a in a school game like probably not going to want to play again and it's mm-hmm. it's great that you want mass participation I'm all for mass participation but it's mass participation we don't just want this legacy from the Euros to last two months this needs to last like a lot longer. And if you're just pumping all this money into girls for the next, I don't know, two months to make everybody play football, but then there's no long-term goal, then actually we're wasting our time. Um, so it is a case of, you know, getting it right. Um, but it's about that engagement for, for primary schools, for secondary schools, and not like nobody wants to get beat 10 to every game. Do you know what I mean? So it's about making sure that there's a happy balance between engagement and yeah. competition. No, that's re- that's really interesting, um, because it's only 
it's only somebody who's got those kinds of insights like yourself yeah. um from i guess from both sides uh who, who could probably see that um and i know that obviously all of the the clubs in the northeast particularly Sunderland, durham and, and increasingly newcastle are um actively involved mm-hmm. in 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 those links and hopefully they'll they'll only grow uh and the fa i know the fa has got a talent talent identification kind yeah, of hotline so, yeah. and stuff so so there are, there are mechanisms and, and obviously we do need to keep it going um coming back to kind of the present day and football i don't know how much of Sunderland women you've seen over the past couple of years but um I guess you'd be aware of some of the youngsters we've got coming through in England age groups and stuff. What do you make of the likes of kind of Grace Eid and Neve Heron and and Libby McInnes and Jess Brown, who were who were who were really establishing themselves as part of Mel's squad? Yeah, I think obviously Mel's doing a great job. Uh, she's brought in a mixture of experience and obviously given those youngest uh, people an opportunity, which sometimes is all you need. Um, you just need that one opportunity or you need somebody to believe in you to give you that one opportunity to to excel, I suppose. Um, and luckily for, for them, Mel's given them that opportunity. And I would say, you know, for many of them girls that you've just mentioned, they're, they're absolutely uh, grabbing it with both hands, I would say, and they're making the most of it. And, you know, I remember Grace being at the Centre of Excellence at the time and she was probably only about a 10-year-old when I was playing. And I remember mm-hmm. thinking, oh, she's going to be a star here. So it's no surprise that she's doing very well at the club. You know, obviously, they've got a couple of, of players who I don't really know that well. But from what I can gather, they are doing really well and they're settling in well, which is obviously nice to see. And it's nice to read that they are doing well for Sunderland. Yeah. And I kind of, I guess the final question again is linking back to, to you know, what you chose to do age 28. Giving, giving up the game and, and concentrating on teaching. We've seen, obviously, in the five years since, the professionalism has taken it to a different level in some ways. We've seen players like Sarah McFadden, um, Sarah Robson, who's just made the decision at 35 to mm-hmm. stop teaching for, for now and take a professional contract at Durham. Whereas others, people like Abby Holmes, have decided the opposite to kind of stay in her stay in a part-time model and, and come back to Sunderland as a better option for her, for her. Um, what do you think about the kind of the, the, the pace of professionalism? Cause this is, a, it's something really that defi- divides Sunderland fans, you know, um, even within our small group of Sunderland fans, some of us who are like really anxious to get all of the players playing full-time training, full-time, like, like some of the other clubs in the league are others who just really want, not to have to, you know, force some of the experienced players into making hard choices. Where where do you stand on that? I probably stand right in the middle. <laughs> uh, and I'm absolutely going to get spelks because I'm absolutely going to sit on the fence on that one. Um, I made the choice very similar to Abby Holmes. Um, but at the time, my choice wasn't to become part-time. Abby made the choice to go to Durham to become part-time. My choice mm-hmm. was I could never play for another football club. So my choice was not to go part-time. My choice was then to retire. So mm-hmm. going full-time was something that hindered me personally. I can only speak on a personal note at this moment in time. So going full-time for Sunderland hindered me and stopped my career. Not stopped my career, sorry, that's the wrong word. I had to make that decision. Yeah. I couldn't keep going part-time and playing for Sunderland. It, it wasn't working. The club wasn't going in 
the club was going in a different direction to the direction I was going. And as I've said to you numerous times, nobody is ever bigger than the club. So the club needed to take that direction. And my direction was, do you know what it is? Then I'll call it a day. That's no problem. Abby Holmes at the time made that direction to go to Durham. She's now obviously made the direction to, do you know what it is? She ain't given up her teaching career. Um, and mm-hmm. I would be very like Abby Holmes, but she's now got the choice of, actually, I have got the opportunity to stay part-time. So I'm going to do that. Whereas I would say, I didn't really have that opportunity to do that. So I'm very much like why I think, yeah, full-time's great and let's pump everything into full-time. I watch Sunderland go part full-time, part, part-time. part Then I watch them mm-hmm. go full, full-time. Then I watch them fold. So yeah. full-time's great if it's a st- sustainable institution and a sustainable amount of money. You know, For example, I look at Arsenal Football Club and they've been full-time for many years and the foundations are there, but not just foundations, you know, that they're going to be doing overnight. It's foundations for the longevity they're in for the long run. Sadly, Sunderland didn't quite get the foundations right to make it the long run. However, I totally agree with people trying full time. It depends on what stage you are at in your career. So you talk about Sarah Robson and Abby Holmes. They both teach totally different. So I believe Sarah Robson's mm-hmm. a college teacher. Yeah. Whereas Abby's a secondary school teacher. A secondary school PE teacher is very, very hard to get a job in. I know Molly Lambert's just made the decision to go full-time from a PE teacher job. So it's one of these where, as an individual, you've got to decide what's best for yourself. If the club's full-time and you want to give it a go and go full-time because, one, you're young enough, or two, you think it's the best thing. So, for example, Sarah Robson obviously wants to give it a go, and I totally understand why she's doing it. But somebody like Abby Holmes, it's not right for Abby Holmes to do that. And I think that's just two totally different situations, but that's totally personal preference. So I think why full-time is absolutely great and, you know, people think it takes the club to the next level and X, Y and Z. I don't disagree with that. However, I have seen Sunderland do it in the past and then it's absolutely gone full circle yeah. and gone back to square one. Um, yeah. And then you've got to rebuild it again, whereas actually if you'd have just stayed part-time in the first place, would you have been okay? Who knows? Because you didn't do that decision. You'll never know that. So I agree with you. And many players, especially young players coming through, will want to be full-time. I totally get why you'd want to be full-time. But I also think you have to have the right people in place to make it full-time. Yeah, and you've, uh, you've got to have the 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 finances and the salary level mm-hmm. it, it as well to make it a, a viable career option. Because there's been lots of stories about some of the very low pay mm-hmm. that is involved in supposedly full-time women's professional football. Coventry United, I think, I, I saw somewhere were essentially paying not much more than minimum wage to their players. And and they couldn't even afford to do that, mm-hmm. um, ultimately. So it's definitely got to be sustainable, but hopefully there is a route with the the Euros and with you know the, the massive explosion of interest for bigger and better sponsorships to come in. One of my my things with full-time is uh, the difference in certain clubs' full-time wages compared to other time full-time wages. Mm -hmm. So you've got, you know, your your big five or your big four or whatever, and they can pull players in because they've got the infrastructure and they've got the money and they've got everything in place, whereas, you know, some clubs and, you know, location, poor old northeast, I say it all the time, like, so do the women have to pay more money for people to relocate? Yeah, they probably would. And do they have that money? Probably not, no. 
So, and that's that's the catch twenty two of sadly um, being from the northeast um, and just being part of being a nutty, I suppose. <laughs> well, hopefully, you know, um, what say what you think about it, but you know, if Newcastle can mm-hmm. can progress up through the leagues and and be competitive, if 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 Borough can actually put some resources behind it because I think mm-hmm. that's run on a, a voluntary basis, yeah. even though it's a tier three tier three club and has obviously a, a, a championship men's team well mm-hmm. established sat behind its brand at least if not yeah. anything much more than much more than that um the more capacity even you know your leads and hull and, mm-hmm. and clubs like that within the vicinity the more clubs that are putting money and resources and and just taking the game seriously the better for the whole ecosystem isn't it and you can have players moving between different clubs who operate in slightly different models where they can get slightly different um slightly different offer from each potential employer you know i look at the the models say for example in the northeast at the minute and you've got durham who i believe are going full time yeah and um, you've got sunland who are obviously training on a night um and then you've got newcastle who is probably a total different option again but you look at newcastle who um, played at St James's Park and got absolutely like fantastic attendance figures. Do you know what I mean? So it's it's that like getting that happy balance between Newcastle obviously marketed it very very well and got people through the door and and was a game changer for Newcastle. But is that because now the men's team have got money? And that's where sadly a women's team, um, or, as long as I've ever known in in the northeast. You always rely on the men's team. So, for example, Sunland women always, or ladies, always relied on however well the men did. So if the men had a bad season, the women were always the kind of the the first one that you would know, right, okay, the men are struggling, we're going to struggle here. Um, and hopefully you, you would think that the corners turn and that's not the case anymore. But previously, in previous years, that's exactly how it's been, sadly. Yeah. And, you know, the structural things that might need to change, obviously we've got the... The review of women's football coming in as well, and mm-hmm. and and on the horizon, you've also got the WSL being um, farmed out of of the FA, and who knows what will come yeah. with that in the ter- in terms of the amount of money available across uh, maybe the top two tiers yeah. of women's football. But I mean, I believe Mel's gone full time, hasn't she? Yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, I think that is in itself is an absolute like a, a massive step in the right direction. Um, you know, she's going to be able to do whatever she needs to do and focus fully on Sunland's team. And that, for me, is the most important person at this moment in time. Yeah, totally. The, the, her and Steph, yeah. maybe their, their, their influence is absolutely key. And, and as is the kind of the support, the you know, the data, the analytics, the training mm-hmm. facilities, seeing them training uh, in, the, in that amazing light, box room thing with oh, the training yeah, machine that, yeah. today looks absolutely amazing so there's lots of benefits that um players still get through coming through the the Sunderland system and hopefully we'll produce more lionesses uh, over the next few years so we've got sunday coming up everyone's very excited about it um you said where you'll be watching yeah how confident are you that um your old mates in the team and the rest of the lionesses squad are going to be able to lift that trophy at Wembley. Uh, come, let, let let's be confident. Come seven o'clock on uh, on Sunday night. 
I think they're going to win it. I think it'll be very tough for them. Um, but I think they've got to... I look at Lucy Bronze and I think Lucy Bronze is a big game player. And I yeah. think Lucy Bronze is a fantastic player and I think she'll step up. Um, I think Kira Walsh is very calm on the ball, composed. I think she'll be a real, real key role to play. Um, but I do believe that Beth Mead is going to score and we're going to win 1-0 and England's going to win it and then she's going to win the Golden Boot. That's what I believe. Brilliant. I've got a prediction out of you as well. I mean, maybe that's just my dream. Maybe that's what I want to happen. Um, but I'm a firm believer if you tell yourself something so many times, it might come true. Well, I think that's a fantastic place to leave it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time this evening, Steph. Anytime. Thank you for having me. You said that I was like the female Kevin Ball. I'll make sure I tell him that and he'll love that one. <laughs> Great. Yeah. All right, so I'll, I'll speak to you later and thanks to everyone for listening and ta ra. Single apology, chemistry, biology, toxic misogyny, still haven't had.